Romans 10. And again, thank you to Tony for faithfully opening up God's Word and uh, exposing it to us last week so faithfully. And Romans 10, Paul uh, mentions the word salvation many, many times. Verse 1, verse 9, verse 10, verse 13. That the concept of salvation permeates this entire chapter. And Paul is, is hammering home the same message that he has been preaching throughout this this letter beginning way back in Romans 16, 1.16 where he talks about the righteousness of God. And that righteousness is salvation to the Jew and the Gentile alike. That the only way for us to be forgiven of our sin, the only way for us to be reconciled to a holy God is through faith in Jesus Christ. God had to offer a righteousness outside of ourselves. We are not righteous we cannot be righteous. We sin. We're sinners. And that righteousness that God offers, it comes through faith. It doesn't come through works. And the, 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 the reason Jesus came was that salvation. Je God sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, namely offer salvation. The angel told Joseph in Matthew 121, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In Luke 19.10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Luke 5.32, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In that passage, Jesus is not implying that some are righteous enough not to need salvation. The problem is some mistakenly think they're righteous when they're not. Some think they don't need a doctor when they need a doctor. That's the problem. That Jesus had made it very clearly, even in James, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The proud don't think they need a doctor. The proud don't think they're sick. They, they think that they're righteous enough on their own. And Jesus says, if that's your posture, I got nothing to offer you. But if you realize you got nothing when it comes to righteousness, I got something for you. In Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our position. Sinners. Separated. And, and in 9.30 through, through chapter 10, Paul, Paul is arguing that Gentiles have attained the righteousness that comes through faith, and the, Gen and the Jews have missed it. Why? Because they sought it by works. They sought it on their own. We saw at the end of 9, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is Christ. They didn't trust Christ. And we, as Tony showed last week, verse 4, for, righteous, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Pride. Pride is what keeps you from getting saved. Of stumbling over Christ, of thinking that you can be good enough on your own. And, and again, I, I, in my own mind, the, the, the people pleaser in me, the constantly wondering whatever, I, I'm all the time, Worried, are, are, am I doing a good job of making this clear? Or do people see why this matters? 
Do people see why we're taking so long to talk about this? Even why Paul has spoken. You know, there are people thinking, well, why don't we just, you could do all of it nine together. Just, just hurry through it. And, and, and here's why this matters. I, I was reminded this week, as, and even last week in the, in the Dominican, in just realizing and being reminded, this is why this matters, and you see it on your handout. This is important for us to see clearly because Israel is a microcosm of the entire world and our sin and how we want to approach God naturally. God has graciously chosen a people, immensely, perfectly faithful to those people. He has laid open on the pages of Scripture all their sin, all their shortcoming, all their propensities, all their tendencies. He has laid it open. Why? Because you and I are Israel. That's the reality. In, in a very real sense, the sin nature in Israel is the sin nature that's in you and I. The sin nature that drove them to do exactly what they did is the sin nature that's in you and I. They're a microcosm. God has graciously revealed this through them so that we would see our own propensity to do the very same things that Israel did. Even in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes... I write these things so that you will avoid Israel's mistakes. Same nature. You know, I mean, you would say, oh, well, we don't have a golden calf. Oh, yeah, yeah okay, you got golden calves. You got more than one. You got, a, you, got a, you got pastures full of golden calves. We all, idols. Pursuing God our own way. Abusing grace, taking grace for granted, ignoring the word. That's nothing new. It's a microcosm. Re read the pages of Scripture. You and I struggle exactly the same way. Go read Joshua and Judges in the cycle of sin. That's your life, that's my life. And God is showing, you see it in your hand, He's showing us through these pages, He's showing us Israel's story so that we can learn about ourselves and avoid their mistakes. But also that Jews would be drawn back. God's dealings with Israel in order to make things known to, about, and to us and about the whole world. Their sin and struggle is our sin and struggle today, but played out for all the world to see, all the world to learn from. That we want, that you and I today might not stumble over Christ and pursue our own righteousness. God, through Paul, is showing us Israel's failures. He's showing Israel's misuses of the law so that we would not do the same, that we would not seek a righteousness of our own outside of Christ. That we would not miss Christ. And again, if we're honest, we are no different than Israel in our propensity towards sin in our propensity towards looking to other things and other places other than God for our righteousness. Every day we fight the battle of looking singularly to Christ as our righteousness. Every day. Of abusing grace, of mistreating grace, of missing Christ. That's why Paul lingers. That we would avoid Israel's mistakes. And so here in chapter 10, as Tony opened it up in verses 1 through 4... 
in verses 5 through 13, Paul continues, and we're only going to look at points 1 and 2 today. I had struggled with it anyway, and then based on the timing, so just breathe a sigh of relief. But what Paul does here in verses 5 through 13 is he contrasts two types of righteousness. And he does that for you, and he does that for me, he does that for the whole world, so that we would see the foolishness of self-righteousness, we'd see the greatness of God's righteousness. Look at verse 5. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, see it, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. Here's the first point, and avoid this. Israel sought a righteousness of their own that was attained through doing, represented by the keeping of the law. If we were honest, all of us have tried to put forth a resume of doing as to why God should love us. Even, even down in the Dominican, Dalma, who has a charismatic bent, she was talking to me and she said, you know, you're a pastor, that shouldn't have happened. I said, that has nothing to do with whether I'm a pastor or not. Me being a pastor doesn't exempt me from troubles. All of us have a bent toward finding our righteousness in what we do. And, and Paul begins verse 5, 4, with the word for. He's building on what Tony exposed last week in verse 4. He's explaining verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And Paul is explaining that here. And he does that by quoting the Old Testament. Specifically, write it down, Leviticus 18, verse 5. And here's what Leviticus 18, verse 5 says. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. Le Leviticus 18 is a summons to do, to obey, in order to experience blessings in the land. Blessing was then tied to obedience, it, to enjoy communion and fellowship, to enjoy the, the, the land that God was going to give them. But, but what, what it points to, Paul uses that to speak to a larger truth. And Paul takes it and speaks again to a larger truth. And he even here the sense of Leviticus 18 and the enjoyment, the enjoyment of God's blessings through obedience, Israel failed. Right? If you know the Old Testament, Israel failed to keep up their end of the covenant. And what happened due to their failure? Exile. Exile. What happened due to their failure? They were overtaken by their enemies. They didn't keep the law. They didn't keep up their end of the covenant. They sinned. And they did not enjoy the blessings. And so what Paul does, Paul takes Leviticus 18... And again, he points to something bigger, namely the need for a substitute, namely the truth that you and I, through our doing, will never be righteous. Never. Paul uses the same verse, Leviticus 18, he quotes it in Galatians 
3, verses 11 and 12. And look what Paul writes here in Galatians 3, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes this, The one who is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Later on in chapter 3, in verses 21 and 22, Paul writes this of Galatians. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But Scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You say, Chris, what is that saying? Paul is saying this, that all the law did was expose your sinfulness. What the law did was show you what perfection looked like and expose that you and I are not perfect. That's all it did. And when I say all it did, that means it perfectly did what it was intended to do. That righteousness of the law was, a, was, an, was exposing God's character and God graciously exposed His character to His people through the law. And He said, listen, if you're going to be my people, you, if you're going to represent me well, which also ties immediately back to Genesis chapter 1, where man was, was created in God's image, was to go forth as representatives of God throughout the whole world. If you're going to represent me, here's how you've got to represent me. And the point was this, you fall short. And what Paul is saying is, listen, if righteousness could have come from the law, the same thing he says at the end of of Galatians 2, verse 21, if righteousness could come through the law, Christ died needlessly. But God sent Jesus because righteousness could not come from the law. That was the whole point. The problem is Israel did not accept that. They did not accept that. And if you want your righteousness to come through the law, what is Paul saying? Then you've got to do the law. What does he mean there? He means you've got to be perfect. And he doesn't mean you've got to be perfect for five minutes. He doesn't mean you've got to be perfect with just one of them. He means you've got to be perfect with all 613 of them. Matter of fact, you could drill it down to just 10. Just be perfect with 10. James 2.10 says if you break one commandment, you break all of it. It's an all or nothing deal. And, and again, you see it on a handout. The problem with seeking a righteousness through doing specifically with regards to the law, is that in order for the law to offer righteousness and save someone, you had to keep it perfectly forever. It wasn't a one-time deal. The law, it wasn't, I keep it once in a while, I don't have my good days and bad days. It's perfect all the time. And here's the problem. Our sin nature won't allow that. We saw that in Romans 7. And the problem is not with the law. The problem is with you and me. The problems with our hearts. And Paul spent the first three chapters of Romans through through verse 19 showing that. Again, verses 10 through 19 of chapter 3, none are righteous. 
and, and that whole transition in verse 20, 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. God has done for you and I what the law could not do, namely provide us with a righteousness that saves. And again, the issue is not with the law. Romans 8.3, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. The, the issue, the weakness is with you and me and our flesh. And, and so because of that, the standard, the law, it becomes a curse, right? I, I, basically, there's something put before you and I to, that we have to do in order to be made righteous, except we can't do it. So it becomes a curse. That's why Galatians 3.13 is so important. Jesus Christ, he became the curse for us. He kept the law perfectly. And he died in the place that you and I deserve to die. We, the law, the purpose was for you and I to fall on our knees and plead and look for a doer and a keeper of the law for us because we can't do it. And listen, our pride hates to not be able to do something. I was reminded of this in Dominican. So this happens on a Saturday. So on Sunday morning, Sunday morning, you know, we wake up and, and we're getting ready. I can't even tie my own shoes. Sarah Grace, it was Sarah Grace or Bradley, forgive me, whoever, came up to me and they said, they saw me struggling and they said, Daddy, I'll tie your shoes. You know what my first instinct was? I got it. You ain't going to tie my shoes. I'll do it. She said, I've been watching you try to do it for five minutes. You can't do it. I'm like, shut up. I'll do it. But, but isn't that our nature? We're confronted with something we can't do. And you know what we think the solution is? Try harder. Give me time. And for generation after generation after generation, God laid open the history of Israel and he said, you can try all you want, you ain't going to do it. And that was the whole point. Paul is saying here, if you try to gain eternal life by keeping the law, you have to obey it perfectly and you have to obey it perfectly all the time. And Israel's problem, we saw it. And, and Tony showed you, they were seeking to establish a righteousness of their own. And listen, Paul, of all people, Paul knew that route. You go to Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6. Paul lays out his Jewish pedigree. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Paul said, listen, if you want to go, if you want to hold up a resume of self-righteousness, ain't nobody holding up a resume like mine. None. And, and, and seeking that righteousness through obedience represents our righteousness. We're trying to come up, you see it on your handout, 
we're trying to come up with our own righteousness. But at his conversion, Paul takes all those things that his flesh wanted to count to his credit, and now he counts them as a loss. He says, I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. He says, those things that I once put in the credit column, I now put in the debit column. They're dung, literally is what he says. They're dung. Garbage. Refuse. And he contrasts doing and believing. Look, and he says in Philippians 3, 9, that I may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And that, that, that is what makes the gospel such great news. What you and I need done for us, God did for us in Christ. God offers his own righteousness apart from works of the law. We saw that, again, going all the way back to Romans 1, common, the theme, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the righteousness of God. It's not self-righteousness, it's God's righteousness. And, and Paul's gospel is, a, is that of righteousness through faith in Christ. And, and what Paul is showing here is that that gospel, this gospel is the one true gospel of the Bible. It's even anchored in the Old Testament. I.e., Paul is answering the question that he began, he's continuing to answer the question that we began in Romans 9, 6. Is God faithful? Can God be trusted? And Paul is saying, yeah. This gospel I preach is the gospel of the Old Testament. And you see it on your handout. Paul's gospel of credited righteousness through faith in Christ, apart from works, is the one true gospel. Not an Old Testament gospel and a New Testament gospel. One gospel. And, and that's the same point Paul made earlier in Romans 2, verses 12 and 13. For all, he writes this, For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. You've got to do the law perfectly. You break it at one point, you are totally unrighteous, you need a sacrifice. You need a substitute. And again, why did, why did Israel stumble over Christ? Because they believed that they could be righteous on their own. They believed they could do it on their own. Why do people not come to Christ today? Because they don't feel like they need a Savior. Don't blame God. Don't blame me. Don't blame anyone else. It's your own pride. Your own pride will send you to hell. Don't blame God. He has put Christ on a cross. Whosoever will come to him, call upon his name, shall be saved. We will stumble over Christ because of our own pride. Our own pride. And every single one of us in here have, have broken Every commandment God could ever give, we've broken it. 
Even if you boiled it down as, as Jesus did in Matthew to two, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, we're 0 for 2. 0 for 2. And again, Paul said this in Romans 3, verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Here it is. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. You know what God did under the law? He put us all on equal footing. Sinners. And, and, and again, God's miraculous, awesome, gracious wisdom. He took all humanity. He wrapped them up in Adam as sinners. Why? So that Jesus Christ could come die one time for everyone who is in Adam. Think about that. People complain, oh, it's not fair that he, this sin nature. You know what's not fair? That God crushed his son on your behalf. That's not fair. God is an infinite, infinite wisdom, put all of us under sin, all of us in Adam, so that his son could die one time. We saw that in Romans 5. Could die one time for all those who are in Adam. And whosoever called upon the name of the Lord could be saved. Period. Otherwise, think about this. We think we're so wise in our way. You know what? Jesus would have to die over and over and over and over and over and over and over again for every one of us. Instead, God says, no, I'm going to wrap you all up in Adam. Christ will die one time. Done. You, even there, you see the sufficiency of Christ. Read Hebrews over that of the Old Testament. The, the Hebrew, in Hebrews, he contrasts that. The priests never sat down. They were offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Christ offered sacrifice one time and sat down. Why? Because it's finished. Finished. The offering is made. E even the Old Testament priests, it's pointing to the sufficiency and the superiority of Christ. And every single one of us in here, we are prone to finding a righteousness through doing. Every single one of us. Why did this happen to me? Don't you know I do dot, dot, dot? Who cares? That's not your righteousness. Every single one of us. And that righteousness through doing will never be enough because it's not perfect. It's not perfect. We need a righteousness from outside of us. And that was the whole point of the law. That was the whole point in Israel's dealings as God is graciously showing not only Israel, but you and I, we need a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves because we will never be righteous. And listen, what Paul is saying here in, excuse me, in Romans 10 and through his gospel is God faithfully did exactly what he said he would always do and he offered a righteousness that could be credited through faith. And he did it in Christ. And that's what he says in verses 6 through 10. And Paul, beginning in verse 6, what's the first word in there? But, when you're reading that, that always means that you're contrasting that verse with what was just said. Some of the most powerful verses in the Bible begin with this, but God. Where you and I are weak, we have a strong man. Where you and I have a need, we have a provider, but God. The very thing that you and I could not do, could never do, God has done for us. Again, but the righteousness based on faith, again, contrasted, mutually exclusive to works, speaks as following. 
Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we are preaching. Again, contrasting. And Paul quotes here to make his point again. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 9. And I I would say flip there if you're able. I'm going to try to use one of my good fingers here and flip to Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy 9 verse 4. I need to put some sticky stuff on the end of that thing so I can... Yeah, exactly. Deuteronomy 9, 4. Look at, what, look, at, look at where Moses writes, and Paul is quoting this. Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me into this, possessed this land, but it is because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for your uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac. What's God saying there? He's saying, listen, when you go in and possess this land, don't you think for one second that it's because of your own righteousness that you possess the land. Isn't that the case? That's the case. We want to think it's because of something we did or didn't do that forced God's hand. And God is saying, don't you think for one second when you get in that promised land. Why would God say that? Maybe as our creator, he knows our tendencies. Maybe. Just maybe. Look at verse 6. Know then, as if, I mean, it's clear enough, but he says, "Let let me keep going and just make sure you get this. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God has given you the land to possess. For you're a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget. And, you know, he's like, okay, let me show you. Remember, don't forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he wanted to have you destroyed. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord had made with you then, then made with you then I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and I neither ate bread nor drank, and, and he pleaded. Moses pleaded on behalf of the people. R- really, when you read this, here's, what, here's why Paul goes to this verse, and here's really what it says. It had nothing to do with their righteousness as to why God gave them the land. It was in spite of their lack of righteousness that God gave them the land, right? Who's the hero of this story? God. And what does he say? It was because, look at verse 5. It was to confirm the oath. We've said this before. Why is God faithful? Because his character rides on him being faithful. Why does God do what he does so that he would be seen as gloried? Why did God save Chris Basham? Not because Chris Basham is great, because God is great. And again, you see the context why Paul would quote Deuteronomy 9 in making this point. Paul is saying the same thing. Believer, don't think for one second if you're saved that it had anything to do with your righteousness. Don't think for one second that it had anything to do with you. 
It's not your righteousness that, that saves you. It's the mercy of God in spite of you. That's the issue before us. Do you want to live according to your own righteousness or do you want to take God's righteousness? That's the contrast. God in his undeserved mercy have always and always will be the hero. And you see it on your handout. Paul quotes the Old Testament to remind his readers that they must not think that they have earned favor with God because of their own righteousness, but rather God's blessings come to us because of his undeserved mercy. Paul goes on here in, in Romans and quotes Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 12. And, and listen to what he says, because scholars struggle here is what Paul is doing, but I think I'm going to try to make it clear, hopefully, in a couple minutes and get us out of here. For this commandment which I command you today, listen. Listen to what, Paul, listen to what Moses says. Hey, this commandment that I'm giving you today, it's not too difficult for you. Nor is that a reach. That's key. That's huge. It is not in heaven that you should say who will go up to heaven and get it for us and make, it near, make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will cross the sea to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near you and in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. And again, in the rest of that section, Moses says this. Go to verse 19 of Deuteronomy chapter 30, just to save time. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, listen, that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life in order that you may live and your descendants by loving your God and obeying his voice and holding fast to him. Is that not the same is that not what Paul is saying? Is that not what happens when we present the gospel? I am putting before you life and death. Choose life. Death if you seek your own righteousness. Life if you trust God's righteousness. I mean, that's, that, that's what Paul is saying. It's not earned. And, and Paul, Paul quotes that to say, listen... Israel didn't do anything to get to God in order for him to reveal himself in the law. God graciously did that. Right? God did that. Israel didn't do anything to get to God to provoke, the, to make God or to earn God sending Jesus in the flesh. See John 1. God did that. And so you see, you see what Paul is doing here. Again, he's undercutting works. He's undercutting merit. He's undercutting self-righteousness. You didn't go to heaven to get God to bring the word down. You didn't go into the depth to bring Christ up. God did that. God did that out of mercy. The whole new covenant. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, I will put in you a new heart and I will cause you to... God did that because of his faithfulness to his oath, not because of works. And again, God is giving, he's imparting new life through Christ because he promised to do that. And again, he says it clearly, that it's not too hard, it's doable. Here's the problem, it's not doable for you and I, it's doable for Christ. See, you see the connection? That's why in verse 4 it says, Christ did the end of the law of righteousness through everyone who believes. Christ did what you and I could not do. He obeyed the law perfectly. Never sinned. 
It is doable. Just not by you and me. And that was the whole point of the law, to reveal the fact that we need a substitute. And God has faithfully done for you and I what you and I could not do for ourselves. And, and, and again, as I study this, I keep praying. I, I have loved studying this, and I keep praying. I pray that they're getting this and, and falling in love with the gospel in a fresh new way. The Paul's point, you see it on the handout, is that human effort is not necessary to procure God's righteousness because God has offered it fully in Christ. God is the one who sent Christ down. God is the one who raised Christ up. And Paul's point is this, our response is faith. It's faith. And, and what you see, it's huge. What you see in verses 6 and 7, what you see in Deuteronomy, those had become proverbial expressions for doing that which is impossible. You see the connection? What was impossible for you and I to accomplish on our own, God has done. God has done it. And again, look what he says, verse 8. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. Connect that to John 1. Again, in the beginning was the what? Hmm. How near was the word in Christ? Real near. Real near. Oh, by the way, who sent Christ? God. You didn't earn it? You didn't merit it? Hey, how, how near is Christ, believer? Right here. Right here. Who, who, who gave us this word? God did that. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed, used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God did that. Why? Because man doesn't live on bread alone, Matthew 4, but by every word that proceeds, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word is near you. But listen, you don't have to go through some difficult, impossible process to earn it. You don't have to go to heaven to get it. You don't have to descend to the abyss to get it. God has done it. And he's put it at your feet. And you see it on your handout. Seeking righteousness through faith, that represents God's righteousness. That means I'm trusting in God's righteousness. God is the hero. God is the doer. And we're going to stop there. Some of that, you're going to, that's going to drive you all nuts, not having the handouts filled in, but we'll, we'll do it next week. We'll stop right there. The solution is this. The answer is this. God has done it in a, such a way as this. Here it is, and I'll just read it. Here's the beauty. The word is so near. The word is so sufficient. Salvation, the offering of God's righteousness is so sufficient that if you... That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. God has authored salvation in such a way that Jew and Gentile alike could be saved. That ought to amaze you. And if we even remotely understood the Old Testament and how separated Gentiles were 
from the people of God, it would amaze you even more. And the point, the point, again, the point Paul is making is this. We had no claim on God's righteousness. We had no claim on God saving us, and yet he has laid it at our feet and invited us into his family through faith. Graciously, mercifully, sovereignly invited us. And listen, the answer is this. The answer is not walking an aisle seven years ago. The answer is not, well, I prayed a prayer 18 years ago. Listen, I say this graciously. Well, I ain't going to say that. Listen, the issue is this. The issue is this. What are you trusting in today? That word believe in the Bible, in the Greek, it's it's a... present participle but in the greek it's a present participle that has future consequences it means this i'm going to sit down in christ's righteousness today and tomorrow i'm going to sit in christ's righteousness and the next day i'm going to be seated in christ's righteousness and the next day i'm going to be seated in christ's righteousness the answer to my salvation is I'm trusting in Christ's righteousness. Not I prayed a prayer nine years ago that has very little, let's be honest, relevance to my life today. That's the problem. That's the problem. It's not about works. It's about a, a disposition. It's about a, a posture that says I am trusting Christ's righteousness as my own. It's not pray a prayer and then, God, I got it from here. No, no, it's I'm going to trust Christ's righteousness. I'm going to see myself every day that God's grace allows me to wake up. I'm going to see myself as righteous because of Christ. And then when we get to Romans 12, eventually we live in light of that righteousness. So don't think for one second this is, oh, Chris is easy believism. I think you don't spend 50 sermons in Roman and believe that nonsense. Christianity is me, you and me living every day in light of being righteous through Christ. How does a righteous person live? The Word tells you. How does a righteous person handle this situation? The Word tells you. How does a righteous person handle struggles in our marriage and with our kids and in our work and and relationships amongst one another. The word tells you. And you know how it is? Forgive. We look to Christ. Because Christ showed us what perfect righteousness looks like. He gave us 1 Peter 2, 21. says, giving you an example. And you follow that example by being filled with the word. By being nourished with the word. Strengthened by the word. 1 Thess 4.3 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Here's what God did. And, and again, see this, and we're going to talk about it in the coming weeks. I'm talking to Doug Gilcrease about doing kind of an Old Testament overview. I'm, I'm saying this out loud, so now you have to do it. Um, you know, we'll figure it out, but so that we don't understand the Old Testament. Listen, even, even Friday, there's not a whole lot I can do, and... I usually go work out with Karen, and I couldn't do that, and sitting in the house, and so I was just studying. It was a reminder. 
God created us in Genesis 1 to be his representatives. To have intimate fellowship with him. We chose to live, we chose our own wisdom over God's wisdom. And you know what he did? He kicked us out of the garden. And and because of that, we see everything that we see. And it was a reminder, even as I looked at the Old Testament and was just reviewing the Old Testament. In salvation, what God is doing is he's recreating what he created in the garden. He's restoring in you and I the image that he created originally. And as you and I traverse this life, that's what sanctification. Sanctification is me coming more and becoming more and more every day what God ultimately will do for me in my glorification. But it doesn't mean I just sit here. No, it means I pursue. Faith is I pursue that glorification day by day. I want to look like God through the power of His Word every single day so that that gap when I die is as small as possible. And listen, that gap, Listen, that gap is what drives me nuts every day about my own life. I, 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 oh, that we would, if seeing this, oh, that we would, oh, that we would see the struggle Paul felt in Romans 7. I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. Because there's a gap. I'm not yet fully who I will be one day. But I want to by faith, not works, because of the righteousness of Christ. Because he has declared me righteous, I want to close the gap. Individually, corporately. And I pray that as we see this, that that would be our heart as well. We'd take our our position in Christ seriously. We'd take being a member of the body of Christ seriously. That as strongly as, I remind even now, that as strongly as TJ and, and Christy are going to bat for Grayer, as well they should, you realize God goes to bat for you? First John 2, 1 says He's our advocate. First Peter 1, 5 says you are kept by the power of God. And that security was never meant for us to be lazy that security was meant to free us to go do whatever god calls you to do and whatever by faith you feel like god's calling you knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of god that is in christ jesus that whether you live whether you die here's the deal you get christ right security was never meant to cause us to be lazy sloppy christians never And, and I, I, I would want that for us. You say, Chris, what do you want for this church? I would want that more than anything, holiness. A desire for holiness. I don't care about size. I don't care. I, listen, I think, I think if we're pursuing holiness and, and uprightness as God is called, listen, a healthy organism grows. But that's what God cares about. Holiness. Not a mile wide and an inch deep. Holiness. Maturity. And again, I, forgive me, that, that's not in my notes, but that's just on my heart, even in the... So if I wasn't as careful as maybe I should have been with my words, please forgive me, but... 
I want us to care about the things God cares about and be serious. 